This is Coda Radio, Episode 77, for November 25th, 2013. You're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our three fantastic sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here fantastic show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. We have put a bill through the house... I'm sorry, where am I? Uh, We were, no, this is not the political action show. No, we were about to start Coda Radio. Oh. Yeah. Hang on. Take two. Right. Hello, Chris. Misa Jar Jar. (laughs) Oh, hi, Jar Jar. Happy Uh, birthday to Chris's brother. I was thinking maybe we could have the political action show back. That might actually go over a little better, I think. Oh, better than Jar (laughs) Jar. So wait, wait, could we get Boehner and Obama to agree that Jar Jar should be stricken from the record? I think that was something we could come together on. Everybody could come together on that one. Uh, all right, uh, so, you know, right before we started, right before I hit the go button, you said I did something radical last week, and I said, hold that thought, tell me at the top of the show. And I'm hoping it has something to do with deleting your hard drive or something. It's just crazy. I want to hear something crazy. I took a 45 caliber handgun and, oh, okay. uh, no, I'm kidding, uh, <laughs> So I took my Gmail notifications off of my mobile devices. Oh. And turned them off. Just straight off. Yeah, now what about uh what about like uh LED notification lights? What's your approach? All gone. Oh wow. I, I, I turned them totally off. See this is for Gmail. The uh LED oh oh for email. <laughs> yeah. Oh you have to. I turn yeah. it off for everything except for I leave the notification light on. Uh but with email it is I mean, it's impossible to have that thing buzz. I don't know. People who have their phone buzz every time they get email are probably psychopaths. Well, I was definitely a little Norman Bates with that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was the guy replying to iPhone, uh, you know, to emails on his iPhone in the middle of lunch. Get it out of here. I had probably, on average, seven days a week, a less than two-hour email response time. I think it's one thing to like, you know, you got a few cycles to kill while you're waiting for a burger, right. you know, open up the email on the phone and take a look. But to have that sucker beep every time, it tells me one of two things. It, it tells me you're a psychopath or it tells me you don't get a lot of email and then you're not important. And I don't mean to be a jerk about it, but when I would meet right. with clients and I, we would have a meeting and if I had a client who had their phone buzz, I would begin to make assumptions about them because I would know just from a technical standpoint that probably that person probably doesn't get a lot of email right because if you got a lot of email your phone would die you're, you're gonna you'd yeah. freak out right so then you'd, you'd turn it off so if you don't want to turn it off then you pr- probably don't have a lot of work <laughs> so I've been doing this for about a week and a half now and my battery life has been much better oh really because you're not going for the phone all the time oh because I get a, a, a ass ton of email yeah and if you turn on the screen every time it buzzes at you it'll kill the battery life I, you know, yeah. it's interesting. So one of the contrasts definitely between Android and iOS is uh, a lot more notifications are on by default on Android. Like when I when you first set up an Android phone, you know, you're getting you're getting you're getting beamed every time yeah. you get a tweet, a tweet, a G plus notification, an email, uh, you know, my battery application that monitors my battery. Uh, I have some sort of other reminder in here, like everything makes the sucker beep at first. And on, on the Internet phone. There's still stuff that like uh, will you know remind you and stuff, but like a lot of stuff has to first ask if it's okay to send you a push notification and crap like that. And so it's a little less in your face. Uh, and the other nice thing on on the internet phone's operating system is you can go into the settings menu and in one spot you can turn off the notifications on everything, right? Just from one screen, which is yeah, also you can really just nice. kill push notifications. Yeah. Possibly. So on, and on the Android phone, I think you got to in most cases go into every. I'm looking right every now. App. Yeah, but I think you do. Yeah. And I just go through and I kind of just, as I set up the app, I just turn that stuff off. So I now that I know about it up front, it's not a big deal. Well, so there you go. Well, that was radical. So you're going to keep it that way? No notifications? I, I think I am because uh, I know a lot of people are going, to, and someone in the chat room actually mentioned it, to where email is a more informal way of communication, like a fast note. Uh, that worked. Isn't that more like Twitter? Right. That worked for a while, but I'm literally going to consider it mail, right? Where I'll check it a couple times a day and that's it. 
Yeah, that's how I do. Yeah, I, 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 I usually yeah. the replies are fairly long. Yeah, for business stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and frankly, it's, it's not always great to reply within an hour anyway, right? Sometimes you need to think about a good response, things like that. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you got to do a little research, or something like yeah. that. So, and also setting the expectation of you know replying to emails, particularly at night, is not a good thing. All right. So, how do you think? Speaking of email, how do you suppose you say the first name of our first email here, Akshay? Akshay? I don't know. We'll go that. Uh, well, we'll just say uh, A writes in, or he or she says. Uh, the A team writes in. Yes. <laughs> he says, hey, Chris and Mike, big fan of the show, Last Tech Snap, and go to radio. I have a few questions that you guys would be the best for. Nice. Those are my favorite. <clears throat> he says, um, I'm in a second year of college, and I have severe burnout. Whenever I start a project, by the time it's complete, I am totally burned out at first i would rest for a week by browsing reddit and hacker news endlessly but now this has become more severe it's been two months since i've written any significant amount of code if any at all how do i tackle this i want to become a professional programmer and being unproductive frequently is not a desirable quality all right so he's got a second question so should we start there maybe we just answer that and then i'll read a second question yeah let's start there uh so i would say you know maybe it's not the right vocation for you yeah, uh, but ah, is that a notification? <laughs> that would be a call. Oh, okay. Uh, someone who fails to turn his phone off. Uh, yeah, so that's an I, interesting point. Yeah, I would also add that if that's not the case, I, I think one thing you're doing wrong is that in your downtime, you're looking at Reddit and Hacker News, which is basically more tech. Um, I one thing I found is that I'm doing the opposite. Right, I've had to go away from tech. So when I'm not working. I'm actually doing something totally unrelated to tech, right? I'm not reading, you know, John Super Duper Hacker's new algorithm for sorting images or whatever. Right. Yeah, you're kind of getting in a different headspace, which actually but, is interesting because it helps you in the back of your mind work through stuff yeah. by being away from it. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, going back, it could be, too, that the work you have to do through college is not really work that blows your skirt up. And it, so it requires a significant amount of willpower to get through it because you don't really give an S. And it's different when you give an S, at least in my case, when I give an S, you know, I really don't have to push myself at all. In fact, sometimes I have to convince myself to back off a little bit. Um, and that will lead to a burnout, but um, it it's sort of like you have motivation. You know, there's a motivation there. So I think maybe that's part of it is you're just having to work on stuff you don't really care to. I wouldn't stress about it too much, uh, especially now, especially if it's not affecting your living. I really wouldn't worry about it um, because one of the worst things you can do about that kind of problem is stress about the problem itself because then that really is just a circle of misery. So that would be my take on it is, you know, keep in mind that it could just be you're not on the right track in terms of things that interest you, but it's stuff you have to get through to get to the stuff that interests you. And in that case, don't beat yourself up too bad. All right. Second part of the question says, my current skill set consists of Python for web des- and desktop applications, Vala for Linux desktop apps, and Go language. I know PHP and have written stuff in it, but it doesn't count. Wow. Uh, while taking while talking to people uh, for internships, I realized that uh, my skill set is very small, and the main problem is that I don't want to limit myself to just one field. I, I don't want to be just a web developer, for example. What tech do you guys recommend? I learn how to, uh, and uh, I learn how to decide on a specific field or job. Should I limit myself to just one or not? Thanks for the great show. So that's an interesting thing. Um, Web developer is kind of a huge-ass broad category. So it's a little uh, odd that you feel limited in that. Oh, yeah. So, for instance, you could be an ASP.NET developer and be a web developer. You could also be a Ruby on Rails developer and be a web developer. Um, if you're crazy, you could be doing Node.js. I mean, all of these things are possible, right? In terms of what you should be learning if you're going in as an intern... Just learn Git, right? Because that's the stuff you're going to get yelled at for, breaking source control. Um, Good point. I mean, really, I, I, I'm thinking of times I've gotten pissy with people. It, it's never about you didn't know the API. It's always about you broke Git or you screwed up the bug tracker somehow. Yeah, I completely agree because uh, whenever you go into some place, there's going to be ramp-up time even if you're an expert in whatever language they're developing, whatever it is they're developing, because they've done it a certain way. There's a backstory there. And so if you know some of the the basics tools that they're using, you're in a way better position, and you're going to annoy them less too. Right, and I would also say if you're, if you're a college agent and you're just getting into it, 
you know, learning something huge like Java can take a long time, right? Uh, in fact, I've been doing Java for years now, and I there's always new stuff or frameworks I've never used or never heard of. Yeah, yeah. Same thing if you end up doing .NET, right? And really, I mean, even in Rails, the same thing now because there's so many gems, so many different things. It's uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel limited doing web development because it's such a big field, and you know, Chris believes this, though I don't necessarily agree that the web is the future, right? HTML5, all of that stuff. Yeah, at least I think it's got a huge role in that future. Right. I would say it's definitely going to be strong. So one thing you should, you said web developer, does that mean back end, which is kind of what I've assumed? Yeah, it's kind of sounded like when he's talking PHP and Python. Right. Or do you also, if you want to be full stack, I mean, there is a, you know, noun.js every three days, right? Yes. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's I, in fact we get emails that I just can't respond to, or I respond to privately about. Did you see this hot new JavaScript framework? There's just too many to keep up with. Uh, so, with someone new coming in, I, I can't imagine there not being enough material for you to learn. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I can't imagine you being able to be proficient, especially as a full stack developer at your current level without you know, it, tons it, of study. I guess almost even that question almost kind of, to me, indicates a lack of passion a little bit. Like, he's still kind of sniffing around. Because I would almost think he should, at this point, I mean, unless he is in his mid-30s, I mean, he's really stressing about stuff that, like, in 10 years is really not going to matter anyways, right? Well, I mean, the biggest concern to me is the burnout so early. Yeah, right? yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking, is... The fact that he's burning out so early and that he doesn't have, you know, oh, man, I love Go or, oh, I'm just absolutely in love with Python. There's none of that. There's no, like, I just really want to build something with this. With most students I interview or talk to, you know, they have, using it in the lightest way possible, that ignorance of whatever the new hotness that they've signed up for is the best thing in the world, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned Go. I've had a few of those kids in, right, where it's, but, but Go is so fast, blah, blah, blah. It's unusual for me to, in my opinion, for someone who's at that level to be burned out already. Yeah. Well, I I like, we, it, you know, yeah. That. I mean, when you get older, it's natural because, you know, as you get good enough at the coding side of things, the real problems, especially if you're a consultant, are the business stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Pissed off client or the client who doesn't pay the invoice. These are, these are the real problems. I used to get. say when I was in IT... If I knew how much writing for documentation I would do, I never would have gotten into IT. And now I feel like if I'd known how much business crap is involved with running your own business, I don't think I would have gotten into that. (laughs) Right. I mean, I spend most of my time writing or doing business-related things, which comes down to writing, right? Mm -hmm. Writing letters, doing things like that. Yeah, I I would say, you know, I, I don't know if we should hit it too hard, right? I don't know if we should tell them to find something else to do. I would say figure out you know, why are you feeling burned out? And it, are you really burned out or are you just maybe a little bored with your school curriculum? Yeah. And if you're bored, it can, you know, I'll burn myself out having to force myself to do something that's super right. boring. But you're starting an internship. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, day one, day two, you get overwhelmed just with, uh, you know, we found a fingertip. These students are not trained for the reality of a, of a working software development company, right? Mm. They're trained for theory and, you know, the sausage is is pretty pretty gross if you see how it's made. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, let us know what happens, man. If you're still listening out there uh, in a little while, let us know how it turns out. Uh, and uh, go get go do something outside of tech. I mean, not that browsing Hacker News and Reddit isn't uh, isn't is bad, but go out and just uh, maybe even if it's at the computer, just play a game, read about something else, just kind of a different take a different gear for a little while, and you'll find your brain work some stuff out. Mister Dominic, before we get to Alex's email. I want to thank our first sponsor this week. These guys are sort of my shame in a little way because I didn't know how awesome DigitalOcean was until kind of recently, until you and I started talking about them. Uh, because DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting, but it's cloud hosting. It's it's sort of the sweet spot exactly like Mike and I are always talking about where it's completely reasonable. It's totally a, a known quantity because you know exactly how much you're going to pay. You control it. You get root login. 
It scales up and down, and it's absolutely budgetable. DigitalOcean, if you haven't heard of them, they're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 per month. That gets you 512 megs of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD drive, a CPU, and one terabyte of transfer. That's actually... An amazing deal. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. The interface is brilliant. It's intuitive. It's very simple. But power users can really do some nice stuff like replicate servers on a large scale. You get your ideal Ubuntu files or a web server. Or a, uh, uh, Right now I have an Arch BitTorrent sync server that's distributing media files for unfiltered subscribers. And it works so fast when you combine their super fast internet connection with those SSD drives. It makes a huge difference. Uh, and, and we have a great deal right now, too. If you want to go try out DigitalOcean, go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERADIO74. CODERADIO74. That'll get you a $10 credit. And if you try the $5 a month server like I've been using, you're going to be able to play around for two months Absolutely free. DigitalOcean has uh, a really cool droplet system where you go in there and say, I want this server with this configuration. Maybe it's Arch, maybe it's Fedora, CentOS, or Ubuntu, or whatever you want. You can also go uh, deploy like ready-made droplets that have Docker already installed on them. So if you've been working on a Docker uh, container locally, building up a system locally on a laptop or on a desktop, once you've done, once you're done with that, you can bring it right up to DigitalOcean. And DigitalOcean even offers hourly pricing. So if you want to just move your Docker instance up there for say an hour and have some people bang on it around the web. And then you don't have to worry about setting up far- firewall port forwarding rules to your dev machine and things like that, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about just moving this Docker container right up to DigitalOcean, fire it up and say, okay, you know, here's the IP, here's the, or here's the DNS, go, go bang on this for a couple hours and report back what you find, right? Why not do that? And, w- and even at $5 a month, you could just leave it active all the time, or you could just pl- you pay the hourly rate. It's even great because DigitalOcean has an active community, and they're right now they're stoking that community fire. So if you want to help uh, contribute to the vast collection of tutorials in the community section of their site, you can submit your article. And if your article gets published, you'll get paid $50 per piece from DigitalOcean. We'll have a link in the show notes right below their banner that gives you more information about that. I think you're going to be amazed how simple it is to spin up a Linux server in the cloud that you fully control with a beautiful UI. Mike, did I leave anything out? I mean, that's that's the heart of it, right? I mean, it, you and I are both just huge DigitalOcean fans. Uh, I've, got a, yeah. I've got a server that's been running up there now since they became came on as a sponsor, and I'm keeping it. It's awesome. I mean, I, I might add one more thing if, if we have another second. Yeah, do it. Uh, that if you're not using Docker, which, again, please put down the drugs, they have prefab Rails and, uh, I mean, I think they have PHP, but I, I have to call them about that. <laughs> and a few other stacks, you just uh, literally spin up the instance with everything pre-installed you need to just get going. Yeah, it's so nice, and it's so fast, and uh, with at the $5 a month, or, you know, the, and each pricing structure is super simple, you know, the next one up's like $10 a month, and then you get two terabytes of transfer, and you get more disk, and all that kind of stuff. It's very simple to understand. It's not going to be a surprise. You know, this is this is so such a superior way to go than something like AWS or Rackspace, where there's always that surprise gotcha fee. You left it on accidentally, or there was more bandwidth usage than you expected, or more CPU usage, or you needed to upload more stuff to S3, or whatever it is. It all goes away with DigitalOcean. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERADIO74 when you're checking out. That'll get you a $10 credit. And if you use the, the machine I've been using, which is Plenty Computer, uh, that'll get you for two months. That's a great deal. So thank you very much to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm coming up with new ideas for it all the time. All right, so Alex is writing in, and he says, a JB listener for a while... Uh, he goes by Alex Bell in the chat, so if he's in there right now, say hi to him. Uh, he said he'd prefer his last name not to be read on air. Well, then, you know, you just don't have to put it in there, uh, but we didn't. He said, just use the uh, DigitalOcean promotion and got the $10 credit. Well, that's awesome. By the way, over the summer, I beat Ben Morris in a hackathon. Boom. He said, definitely read that on air. So Gauntlet has been thrown, Ben. Uh, I've been compl- two completely unrelated questions for Mike. Number one. It looks like Fingertip Tech does both consulting and product work. Can you talk a little bit about how you divide the time spent on both of these? The long-term strategy to move to product work is to go there to, to go to product work as 100% and move away from contracting, right? Uh, so you're right. It does both consulting and product work. The long-term, I mean, the ideal strategy would, of course, be product work, right? Uh, to be honest, the way I balance the time is pretty informal. 
there's usually lulls between contracting work and we just fit the project work there. More and more, the process has been getting a little more formalized, and that's something we're working out right now, uh, how to effectively schedule things. But I would say it's still certainly over 70% consulting. And, and you'll find that that's the case with a lot of smaller development, development shops. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of nice to diversify, too, because you're not totally dependent on one. Yeah, and you get different projects, different domain spaces, which is good. Uh, okay, number two part of the question. I'm not a front-end web developer, but a dabble. Uh, I would love for Mike to discuss any preferences in JS or CSS frameworks. Uh, so on the CSS side, I actually don't use anything. I use pure CSS. And that's because I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, curmudgeon. I got it. There you go. Uh, on the JavaScript side, I've dabbled with Dart. I've dabbled with TypeScript. Uh, I don't like CoffeeScript. Uh, generally, still using straight JavaScript. I like Backbone.js, but other than that, I'm not I'm not doing a lot. I have been moving away from jQuery, though. Uh. Other than that, I, I, I've... I've been a little conservative with this whole JavaScript CSS change that people are doing. I know a lot of folks are actually using SAS and uh, CoffeeScript. Is your mic cord swinging? What's going on over there? Is a mic cord swinging? I'm hearing something through the mic. Kind of sound, sounds like that a little bit. I don't know what's going on over there. Are you hearing it now? No. Then it was my dog. I uh, know. I heard the dog earlier. It sounded like it was. Sounded like it was hitting the mic. Something hitting the mic stand or something. Because it was coming weird. like a bass boom 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 boom. Um, so, uh, we got, uh, we got one last email in here. Do it. Okay. Now this, uh, this is pretty fancy. This is posted on his blog. I don't know if I've ever seen a, a feedback this fancy. Are, are we allowing this? This kind of feels like it's raising the bar a little bit. Yeah. I feel like it's raising the bar and this might be the new bar for feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Mike and Chris, uh, on Code Radio, uh, 76 topic of standing desk came up. He says, I would encourage you guys to use standing workspaces. I built one for work. I converted a bookshelf into one at home and, well, really, and for my home office as well. Uh, I find it really helped me with my lower back pain. Oh. There's just a few tips for to on the ergonomics. The top of the monitor should be at level or one inch above the height of your eyebrows. This encourages level head posture. The level of your keyboard should be close to the level of your elbows. You want a pretty even level between your elbows and wrists. This reduces wear on your carpal ligaments. Number three, you might need to put a book under your mouse or trackball to keep at the angle of your wrist more neutral. Pulling your digits back and up and lowering your wrist to move your mouse and trackball is a common RSI pattern, and it wears on your carpal ligaments. There are a lot of tricks, like switching your pointing device uh, to a trackball, uh, taking Pomodoro breaks, eye exercises to reduce eye strain, and as you guys are both in the role of employers... All these things can steward your employees. Sometimes I need to sit at a break. I keep a large ball in the office to sit and tilt my workstation keyboard shelf to do that. Oh, nice. Uh, but I don't need to do that for very long. I find it most, most useful to keep the ball around to do backwards, upper, neck stretches that counter computer slouch. Oh, now, I'm, now, I, now I feel bad about how I'm sitting. Uh, he says, while in college, I suffered a lot from wrist RSI, and I wore wrist braces. These were my bad habits. Dehydration, soda, not water, lack of exercise, and repetitive gaming motions aka too much doom when i stopped living on campus and started bicycling to school and around town my rsi cleared up a major aspect of rsi is getting good oxygenization to your tissues good circulation i would also encourage you to bike to work for and uh for shopping as well we need the exercise we don't really need we don't really like our cars as much as we think we want to as programmers and sysadmins we're in a population faced with major health risks sedentary lifestyle leads to heart disease diabetes like me gout and chronic stress which compounds all of the above. And the best advice I can provide is to build activity into your day by removing chairs, cars, and sitting while programming. Stay healthy. Well, that's pretty cool. That was a great... Now, he said he had pictures. I didn't see any pictures. But thanks for that great feedback. It's very, he's got a very zen background, too. I think this, this, guy's, uh, this guy's got got it figured out. He's got it dialed in, Mike. I think yeah, I, I, you know, I'm really interested in this whole ergonomic workstation thing. I, I haven't taken the plunge yet. Yeah, I am too. I because I, I kind of I'm going to be approaching needing to rebuild my workspace, and yeah. uh, it's kind of like, boy, well, if I'm going to be doing all the work, is now the time? Yeah, I mean, I really don't have any comments on that. I just figured we'd share it um, because this is a, a kind of a common thread recently. Yeah. Oh, that was from Jed. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jed. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um. 
Now, uh, do you, uh, one thing I wanted to cover in the feedback slash follow up before we got into the hoopla this week is a couple of weeks ago, you came on here and you're all like, oh, hi, I, my name is Mike. It's negative in the freedom. And I got a Surface dimension. Pro. And uh, I think it's the best uh, mobile device ever. And it balances mobility and power. So, how has the Surface Pro been going? Uh, quite well, actually. Uh, the, the, though, I, though I'm not sure that that's how I presented the case. <laughs> Though in the future, I will certainly start everything with, hi, I'm Mike, and uh, yeah, that, that, that's definitely how I'm going to do it. I'm using it for Visual Studio, for writing, for pretty much everything. Yeah, it's going okay. It's going okay. Nice. Well, and it totally, actually, I mean, I can see how if you're in the, if you're in the, if you need a device that's in the Microsoft universe that runs those applications, seems like a good candidate if, if portability is a, um, a high usage requirement. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. All right. You can also hook it up to an external monitor. Um, really? Yeah. What's it? What kind of connection does it use for that? Something that's called DV something. There's an adapter. Oh, so it's okay. All right. So it's like their own Surface Pro kind yeah, of adapter. Like yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. All right. Well, so uh, we do have some hoopla to jump into, and uh, I thought uh, we'd start with uh, you and e- you and me getting some new threads. What do you think? Yes. Uh, Tell me how many items on this page have you purchased? Well, i i was kind of i was kind of uh, to use your word a curmudgeon about it at first. I was like, "Oh, Microsoft, you bastards!" And then I saw this uh, mug, this Chrome mug, where it says, yeah. "Keep calm while we steal your data." Steal data. And that is too funny, actually. Don't get scroogled. Uh, this is Microsoft taking off the gloves at Google and just going a few rounds, huh? I like it, and I will. You know what? I'm not ashamed to say I tried to purchase the mug and then it was sold out. You did. And the hoodie. Oh, gosh. And the t-shirt. I, uh, so this is old school Microsoft a little bit where they get a little dirty. Yeah. Um, okay. But they run Bing, right? They've got Hotmail. Oh, it's totally facetious, right? I mean, they do the same thing with, uh, I think Hotmail is called Outlook now, but yeah. I think they're really just, uh, they're trying to play into, I definitely noticed more people concerned about Google these days. And anybody else, yeah. And um, maybe they're just trying to keep that train rolling. Maybe they, could they be savvy enough to recognize that the, that the temperature is turning just a little bit online and trying to capitalize on it? Because when I look at this, I mean, if we're going to get honest, Microsoft is one of the first, Microsoft was the first company to participate in the PRISM program. Microsoft has Skype. I mean, they have all kinds of data they're probably collecting about people. No one said it was fair, right? So the reason <laughs> I included it in the show was that uh, okay, I, I think you know we've talked about the doom and gloom case for Microsoft. I think stuff like this is actually a glimmer of hope. Shows right? they got a little fight in them left. They they still yeah they're they're not taking a laying down. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it definitely generated buzz. Um, and I'm surprised they wouldn't. They even branded it Microsoft. Microsoft. Oh, it's actually at the Microsoft Store. <gasps> yeah, so it's very ballsy. Like it's not some shady third-party thing that they tried to do no they just came out and said it i thought it was its own thing but no it's no this is the microsoft store it's the official store yeah i i kind of i kind of respect the ballsy move i kind of do that is kind of awesome it's also funny to listen to twit talk about oh really what'd they say they're not pleased oh they thought it was too uh yeah yeah well yeah they really like google over there (laughs) a lot (laughs) so i could i could see how that could happen um, all right. Well, so to be to be honest, I, I would totally get that coffee mug. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd, I'd like it too or yeah. three. I mean, it really, it's just. And I'm using Chrome right now. Just want to point that out. So am I. Yeah. Okay. So uh, while we're on the Microsoft topic, there's one more Microsoft thing I want to touch on. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor because uh, I want to give us some room for this next topic. And uh, there's no better way than to start with one of the greatest things out there. And that, my friends, is Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. I've been using Ting since the beginning of the year, and it just keeps getting better. First of all, they're turning LTE, LTE on in more and more cities all over the U.S., so if you haven't checked recently, go over to coderadio.ting.com and check that coverage link where you can find out what kind of Ting service you're going to get in your area. Ting has a really compelling rate system where you only pay for what you use. They take your minutes, your t- the text messages you, you send, and the megabytes you use, and they add them all up at the end of the month. And whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. And what's really great about this, no contract. So you get a phone. You don't, you don't have to worry about any early ter- termination fees. You don't have to worry about being locked in for two years and then manipulating 
bugging you and changing the game on you and anything like that. And on top of that, you own the device. It's full, straight up your device, and you're only paying for what you use. This is a really powerful and flexible combination. And it saves you from wasting money on a contract that you're not using all of the minutes or the data or whatever it is. You know, like... um Traditionally, before Ting, this is a great example, my wife and I had a family share plan so that way we could get, uh, I think it was FaceTime or whatever it was that she wanted. You had to have like certain data plan. It was just ridiculous, like a, a different kind of data plan. And then like she wanted to send some text messages. Well, 100 isn't enough, but 1,000 is too many, but it was kind of like our range. So we ended up paying like $10 a month just for text messaging so that way we're safe. But with Ting, you only pay for what you use. That is empowering. As the holidays come up, it adjusts accordingly. It's very flexible. And now, speaking of iPhone, if you've got an iPhone 4 or 4S and it's Sprint compatible, you can now bring that over to Ting. So if you've been kind of waiting, hoping they'd have iPhone support, good news, my friends. They have a, they have a information over at help.ting.com, and that's where you'll f- uh, get the details on how to move your iPhone over. You can also call their customer support. They have amazing customer support. A real person answers the phone, too, if you call them between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. That's where Mike lives. You call them at 1-855-846-4389. Yeah, that's Ting FTW. You know that. So go over and check out Ting over at coderadio.ting.com. I think you're going to be pretty impressed. I love my HTC One, and now they take the Nexus 5. You can order right from the Google Play Store. And they got a bunch of other great devices. If you go to coderadio.ting.com, they'll take $25 off your device. Or if you've already got a compatible device like the 4S or the 4, or many other devices, they have them all listed over on their site, they'll take $25 off your first month of service. Now, that's a really great deal. So go to coderadio.ting.com and go, you know, if nothing else, if you've heard this ad before and you've considered it, but you're just not sure, check out their pricing calculator. Check out that pricing calculator, watch the video on the dashboard, and then tell me that's not the way to go, right? Tell me, that's the way to go. Coderadio.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, so let's keep on the Microsoft thread just for a couple more minutes. Are you okay with that? I know you uh, you uh, hate talking big... about your Surface, and you hate talking about Microsoft, but... Oh, I hate it. <laughs> you got an Xbox One, and I got to know how it's going, because I'm trying to decide for Christmas if I might get the yeah. PS4 or the Bone. How's the so, Bone been, so, sir? So, Chris, I kind of buried the lead on you uh, in the pre-show. Oh, yeah? Not only did I get an Xbox One, but I actually went to a midnight launch event. Really? Yes, all the Microsofties were there. It was a very colorful event, and I got a T-shirt. Yay! Uh, but what's in a, in a, and putting the trolling stuff aside, what really surprised me was how packed the place was. Really, a lot of people hundred... excited about the bone, huh? Oh I... yeah, a lot, a lot of people kind of really stimulated for the bone. I mean, you know, just all up, totally up for the bone. I, I guess probably part of that was because people knew there was going to be low inventory. I don't know how low. There must have been hundreds of people waiting in line, and, and I'm not exaggerating here. The Microsoft store was like dead center in my local mall, and there were people lined up all the way to the end of the mall. You know where they put the department store? Yeah, like, yeah. Like a, like a like an iPhone launch. Like it was bigger than the most recent iPhone launch. So you've plugged it in now. Do you have TV service? Or are you piping TV service through it? I do, but I'm not uh, because I have that wonderful carrier known as Verizon. And their functionality is, shall we say, limited. So let's see. Um, yeah, okay, so you, you said I'm going to skip that functionality, but even still, even still, you're impressed. Because I was I'm, looking I'm, at, I'm thinking... Yeah, I'm skipping it for now until there are more of the Verizon-specific services are supported. My thought process looking at it is, honestly, if I don't have TV service, I should get the PS4. If I had TV service, I should get the Bone. What do you think? I can't speak to the PS4 too much. Um However, I can say that that was kind of my thought going in. And one of the things that got me to pre-order the uh, Xbox One was that I had an Xbox 360, right? And I had friends lists and things like that. But having used it, I would say the Kinect is, is worth the purchase price. Mm, okay. Um, you know, I have traditional cable service only because I like HBO. Because of that, the Xbox One, it can be pretty much my home base for entertainment, right? Because there is an HBO app on the Xbox. I believe it carries over to the one. But you it, it's one of these weird things where you you open the app and you still have to have service. Mm. 
like you you couldn't just go in, open it, and be like, I'd like to purchase HBO for you know hundred dollars a year or whatever. Right. Yeah. They, no, that's because they have agreements with the cable companies. Right. And yeah. so it, it's it's very kludgy. You kind of have to log in with your cable. It's weird, but. So uh, how's the online store and all that kind of stuff? Everything's fast. Everything's responsive. Uh, there's not a lot of indie games in the online store. Yeah. Uh, but I'm told that's the same on the PS4 right now, too. Okay. I mean, they both have Minecraft. They both did a good job of like chasing last generation's hot indie developers <laughs> yeah. to get token shit on the store. But there's nothing new, right? Okay. Okay. Really, the thing that has me enthusiastic about it is not the product that you would get on the store shelves today, right? It's that, you know, Microsoft PR is quick to say, oh, this is not a Windows machine. This is, uh, you know, Xbox. Uh, but a number of executives, and you can look this up. I think The Verge had a good piece about it. I've uh, pretty much flat out said, yeah, this is a Windows box, and we are going to allow apps. It's just a policy question. Right. Like, I, what, from what I've seen, too, um, first of all, it actually runs Windows 8 and like, or some, some version of Windows. It's running, the, it's, yeah, it's running Windows, and then it's using a hypervisor. Hypervisor, right? yeah. yeah. Hyper-V to do three machines. Um, right. And I, I, I guess, like, if you want to – like, there's a lot of – you actually install stuff. Like, if you want to watch a Blu-ray movie, you actually install – a Blu-ray application. Like, you're already installing stuff, it's just only the Microsoft stuff, right? Like, have you had the process of quote-unquote installing an app? Yeah, I installed the Blu-ray one, I've installed Netflix and Hulu, I've installed a number of apps. I mean, it's very fast. But those are clearly apps that are being... Yeah, it looks like the service, right? It's very metro. So then they just have to turn that on for other stuff. Exactly, they just have to... So the infrastructure's there. What's interesting is that I find that the biggest downside of the xbox one is that they turned their back on that digital disc disc free future right because the connect is so designed to make you not have to quote get up and do anything <laughs> yeah right you can just say you know xbox go to halo or xbox go to netflix right until you want to play a game that you've totally installed from the disc that's not in the disc drive right right and the reason for that is because they had People pitched and whined. They went back on it, and now the disc is your license key, which actually breaks the experience. Ah, uh, so you always so you can install it to the drive, but you always have to have the disc in the drive, right? And this is the trade-off they made, if you recall, after the internet cried about used games. You know, I had an original Xbox that was uh, hacked, and where uh, I just saved all of my games to the hard drive, and it was the coolest thing to be able to call up any of them. Kind of like Steam is now. <laughs> well, that, that's how it was going to be. Yeah, you, I know. Yeah, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I, I still believe that that whole used games thing was a little bit of. Um, I, I think the only person who benefited from that was Sony, and not because that they were right, because I don't think they were, because they didn't have the functionality. And had Microsoft not backed off, I think they would have taken a little bit of heat. But at the end of the day, for the market that matters to the market who's older and can afford to buy new games, they would have done better, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Conversely, since you'd only be buying new games from the developers, the developers would be incentivized, as they are on Steam, to do occasional sales, Sales, yeah. And I'll tell you, um, there is something about a digital good that when it goes on sale like that, the Mm -hmm. logic part of my brain totally goes on vacation and I will buy several games just to have them in my library. And I, and I don't think I have, I would never go to the store and buy three physical discs at once. It would seem excessive. So so that was my thing because I, you know, I I heard a lot of people on the internet complaining and I have to assume these people must be teenagers. (laughs) Well, and I have a, I'm not being a jerk. I am not being ageist. I I have a, a reason for that. You know, if you're paying four or $500 for a gaming console, which is totally a frivolous purchase, right? You're then complaining about a $60 game purchase and saying that you need to buy the used version for 40 or 50 uh, That means you either, you probably don't have a lot of money, but are frivolous enough with your money to buy a game console in the first place. I, I think it is probably not the full picture that it was the consumer that changed Microsoft's mind. I think they were lobbied probably by the gaming industry. I think the industry. publishers didn't like it. Exactly. It, well, it, and let's be honest. And retail outlets, it would have killed. Would be, yep. And so they probably... Here's the idea. It wasn't that you could never buy a disc. It would be, you know, let's say you bought Assassin's Creed, right? You put the... Because, you know, I 
guys in the out west always write in that their internet sucks and all this cloud stuff doesn't work. All right, you bought the disk, you put it in, it copies the four gigs off the disk, which, by the way, is another problem. And then you're done, and you do a small update, and you're good to go. Yeah. And you, and that disk can be a coaster for your beer. Right, or your backup if you if your Xbox dies and you have to go buy a new right. one. Right, and you don't want to re-download the game. That yeah. would have been perfect. And, see, keep, and I think yeah. maybe what happened is maybe GameStop said, all right, well, if you do this, you know, we're going to feature the PS4 in our stores. We're going to be a premium outlet for the PlayStation, and the Xbox so is going on the back shelf. GameStop is a pretty playstation-heavy place. Uh, it's funny. I mean, I went to the Microsoft store for the launch, so obviously I didn't you know, see what GameStop was doing. But I was in the GameStop to purchase a game I had pre-ordered, and the guy was like, oh, you know, it's better on PS4, right? Ouch. I've heard that, yeah. though. I've heard sometimes the graphics are better on the PS4 games. Yeah, I don't know why I don't have a PS4. It doesn't but really can, matter, really. I was it? playing... I know the one they were fighting about was Call of Duty. I was playing it on the one. It is... It's stunning. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, very, it's impressive, and yeah. I'm not a big, you know, I'm not a big graphics snob, but wow. It um, seems like if somebody's going to get okay, so if somebody gets applications right for one of these consoles, it's probably going to be Microsoft, just because they've got more experience there. And the Connect offers an interesting interface for developers to do something with. In fact, so that's the thing: the hardware looks like crap on the Microsoft system, right? And the Sony box looks a lot better, but the software. I think they're going to win. I, I really do because of the platform. You think you could take touch apps and make them connect apps? You know, like, could you take apps from the Surface Store, from the Microsoft Store for the Surface, and with some it, tweaks? It's put funny. It on? You, it's funny you mention that because Microsoft was sending emails out to developers, um, and this is public, so that they're merging the Windows Phone and WinRT stores. Hmm. Uh, well, not merging the stores, but they're merging the account, right? So you paid for one, you get the other now. And they're extending your license. Um, for those who don't know, they do the same thing as Apple, where they charge you 100 bucks or whatever it is. Why not do that for Xbox, right? Maybe they will. Yeah, I, I think they might. And I, I can't see a reason for them not to. Unless the large publishing companies are going to be... Uh, upset i mean i don't know i, I just can't gosh you know what'd be really interesting now i'm just getting crazy so everybody grab your uh, crazy crystal ball microsoft rolls out the xbox one they in a year or two maybe you know at the next e3 or the, the e3 after that they turn on a really f- rich apps you know you can submit apps people can write them it's all part of the windows store connect is an, is a ui option but so is remote and controller and all that right uh wouldn't it be amazing if then, like a year or two after that, maybe because of graphics improvements, or they just didn't make it for gaming. Like maybe they made like an Xbone that was the size of the Apple TV that could run all of the apps in the App Store and play the more casual games. Mm-hmm. And it was yes. like uh, just an, it was just the apps and the and the video and the music content. And maybe it still worked with the Connect too. So this is a uh, an area that I'm a little lost on. You know, Microsoft and Sony keep going on about these are 10-year consoles because, you know, they're so expensive. Well, folks buy iPads all the freaking time, mm-hmm. and they're just as expensive. And to be honest, you know, the graphics on those on the iPads keeps getting better. And right. It's... How can they – you know, this strategy made sense for the Xbox 360, right? Yeah. How can they not go back to their traditional three-year console cycle? Yeah, I, you know, I look at too like the, the the chips they're using now are x86 chips, and they're using ATI graphics. It's like it's no longer like they have these special cell processors or G5 yeah. CPUs and all that kind of stuff. It's now just straight up PC parts, and and not that it might not make a difference right away in in the life in the in the primary lifetime of these consoles, but the Steam Box will be coming along too, kind of based off the same stuff, but probably more aggressively built. So one option is now that they're running a PC architecture, they could theoretically rev the thing, rev these things every two years, but somehow do forwards compatibility instead of backwards. Yeah, I don't right? see them doing that. Really? Because uh, to me, they could do it just like the PC does it. Okay, you're running last year's Nvidia card, so you can play this on on you know oh. super good. Hmm. But so I'm it's like the difference between like a DirectX nine and a DirectX ten computer, kind of a thing. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Hmm. That would be interesting. I it, it's totally 
you know, it would be a, it would be a totally different way of managing a console because traditionally, here's the spec, you build to it, and then as components come down in cost, we make it up in savings. We don't, we don't, we don't take advantage of those savings and put it all back into the box. We make so a profit. How, other than the connect, though, these parts can't be that expensive. I mean, I don't know if you saw the teardown. These are straight PC parts. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are you could buy these on. I think the ATI card's been a custom, you know, built like that's the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. You know, maybe I don't know. It, it, the way I look at it is, Microsoft has traditionally, and so has Sony, taken a loss on the on the you know first year or so of right. these consoles. So they kind of almost have to take advantage of save cost savings to earn a profit later. Otherwise, they never really end up in the black. So what's interesting, though, from a development perspective, is that these are PCs, right? Mm-hmm. Um. You know, games are fun, but not to be too much of a fanboy. I, I feel Microsoft is right that the game market, though vocal, is not that important in terms of, I mean, I mean the core game market, right? I mean, look at the success of Candy Crush. Look at the success of uh, Farmville, things like that. Yeah, that on, and that is, has a whole market economics dynamic right. to it as well that eats away at these $60 games in a big, fast way. I, I just can't see this not being a great opportunity for developers to particularly mobile developers, right, have yet another device with a vendor you... Let's be honest, well, if you've been developing software for any length of time, you've probably dealt with Microsoft. Or, their, or, or, their, or just look at it this way. Microsoft is desperate to give value to the Windows Store, to give developers a reason to go through all the effort. See, that's the thing. I don't think they're that desperate anymore because I think developers that used to have to court to go on RT now want to be on the Xbox. Well, and especially if, you know, if if I can buy a game on the Xbox that I can play on Metro on Windows too, that could be... Uh, yeah, that could be killer. That could be an interesting way they compete with Steam. Sort of, they're like, well, you know, they just, they can buy it on, you buy it on one store and you play it on the PC or you, you play it on the Xbox and your, your save progress is saved to SkyDrive. Uh, so that, there's one point in there. You don't need to save to SkyDrive. Uh, one other thing... That I've noticed is not being picked up is that they're they're giving each developer um, a credit towards what they call a compute cluster, which is basically an Azure compute cluster, right? That could be very interesting. If it's not just for games, if it's for applications, to have the server component come with your app, with oh, your Netflix. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, that, my that, gosh. Your operating cost goes down overnight. And we know they've, they've just set up like a S-ton of servers just dedicated to... The Xbox. Just to the Xbox, yeah. Yeah, wow. Hmm. Jeez. So, you know, I understand that the press has been focusing on games and things. I will be very surprised if come come the new year, this is not one of the main platforms we're discussing on the show. Well, it could take them a little while to roll it out because maybe, you know, they do it in stages, right? I don't know. You know, I feel like the work is done. I feel like this is literally a policy decision where the lawyers have to go through and say, what is the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. And, and to be fair, it's pretty bad, right? They have to police the store. Well, but see, this is what's this is the beauty of it, though. All of this, they already have infrastructure for personnel and actual infrastructure for. They might they just do. need to increase in some areas, but well, they've already they, got all the business pieces in place. They do, but if you take a look at the Windows Phone store, it's pretty crappy. Well, yeah, uh, not yeah. just in. I mean, there are things that are inappropriate. <laughs> uh, there are. Well, wow, that sounded that, just like it, actually. Inappropriate. <laughs> Uh, so before they put this on a home console, they need to, yeah, they need to clean their shit up and, and frankly, yeah. they need to, to pull a snob, an apple, so to speak. That is, it's kind of a different story when it's in the living room. It is. Uh, especially I can see a lot of children using the console, mm-hmm. uh, you know, time to put on your Puritan hat and start cleaving things out of the store or have a, or have a family filter mode or something. Mm, some of the stuff on the windows phone stores. Is it, well, I mean, a lot of it's IP theft too. Is that just because they're desperate to get the number up? Or see, this is why I'm, this is why I think they might want to do this just to improve that situation. Because getting it on the bone and getting it on the desktop and getting it on the phone and getting it on a tablet, that's all pretty compelling. But they gotta they gotta execute on it. I think they're fairly strict with their store when they want to be, hmm. uh, but they're fairly liberal in general. Look at that crazy Microsoft. 
All right. Well, um, so you're thinking, gosh, you're kind of convincing me to get the Xbox One, to tell you the truth. I I think the Xbox One is, though, maybe not the most impressive console at launch, although I'm pretty impressed. The other thing I kind of am kind of the other thing was kind of leaning me Xbox was uh, I don't know exactly, but I guess there's some decent like fitness apps that utilize the connect. And it could be a fun way to do exercise with the kids and stuff. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. And also Titanfall. Oh, really? Yeah, that would be the other thing is if a really good game came out for one of them, like a Mario type game that I just, you know, makes my heart just like warm. I'm like, oh, I want that or Zelda or Metroid. Like those are all on the Nintendo platform and those are all games. It's like I almost I would almost buy a console just to play those. I haven't for the last few consoles, but it almost I, I, if they had one like that for the Xbox or the PS4, I, that would probably be the deciding know, if, factor. If, if, if the one wasn't coming out, I probably would have picked up the Wii U for that new Mario game. Yeah. Yeah. You, see, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, we got to talk about some books now. We've got a double book pick plus uh, a discussion around books. Now, you guys see, I'm old. I remember back before the Googles and the internet searches, where all my information when I needed to research a topic pretty much came from either a coworker or a book. Uh, right. So <laughs> I feel old now. But first, I want to thank our last sponsor this week, and that is the great folks over at GoDaddy.com. Now, here's why you need to go to GoDaddy because if you're working on a project, you're working with a group of people, you want to get a job, you want to get a client. You need to get your own website. Not even if you just get up there and get your basic info on there, like some links to your uh, social accounts, maybe your email address, whatever you want up there. You need to have this now. You know what you want to show up at the top of the Google search results, but if you also have a business, you need to get your presence out there. So GoDaddy has got a great deal. Their website builder makes it easy to create your own website, to put your business online, and find new customers. Choose from hundreds of customizable designs, and you're on your way. Website builder even includes a free domain, hosting, and 24-7 support if you use the code WSB8. Not only do you get the domain, the hosting, and the support, you'll get it for a dollar a month for 12 months. It is go time. Visit GoDaddy.com. Enter promo code WSB8 to get Website Builder for a dollar per month. Some limitations to apply. They've got them uh, highlighted at the top of their website. Go check it out. This will spin you up a website that is really easy to configure. Click, click kind of UI. Very well done. Brand new set of tools GoDaddy's rolled out. They they also work with mobile optimization, so that way they can spin up a good-looking mobile version of the site from the site you create, and they'll always be applying best practices for search engine optimization. That's really the, that's the key part, so that way when somebody types in Michael Dominic to the search box, they don't get something that somebody posted on a Facebook post about what a jerk he is. You don't want that. So go over to Those GoDaddy. Those are usually on Google Plus, actually. Oh, well, that would make sense. Or app.net. <laughs> oh, kidding. And use promo code WSB8, w- Website Builder 8. You see WSB8 when you check out to get the Website Builder for a dollar a month. Don't let SEO wreckage happen to you. Ooh. I happen to know somebody who, when you search for their name, you get some really dirty results because there was some rumors being spread about them online that weren't exactly rumors. They were truths. And uh, that's what shows up at the top of Google now. And now they have their own website, but it's a little late. So thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Now let's talk about books. Well, hang on, hang on. Hmm. Are you sure you know this person? Are you sure you're not this person? Oh, it's not me. I've never actually Googled my name. Let's see what I get when I search... Uh, of course, I'll have personalized results, so it probably won't. So when I search under my personalized account for Chris Fisher, I get risque bathing suit photos. Really? Oh, yes. Oh, actually, I in the image results, the second picture is, oh, it's a dude. There, You see, I have a very generic name. Parents yeah, were not do. thinking that one through. I do like that I, I puts my mobile phone number up there, because I guess because it's me. And uh, so I see my phone number right there. So if I ever show my myself searching for myself, I'll be broadcasting my phone number to everybody. And it also shows the last uh, YouTube post that I made. That's great. That's wonderful. So the topic of books came up in the Coda Radio subreddit. Uh, and the question was submitted by 50-fold Chris. Alpha book sounds like a good idea for tech books that are almost obsolete by the time they are published. Um, he says, I'm always scanning the shelves of my local library and passing over a lot of aging tech books because they're two or three years old. Buying the book in alpha and perhaps contributing to its development sounds like a neat idea to stay on the cutting edge. What an interesting concept. So you get the book while it's still being written, and you kind of contribute to it a little bit like a like a source code project, I guess. Well, you send, you send feedback to the author, right? 
so actually, I was taking this from from sort of a, a different perspective. Oh yeah, lay it on me. I used to do a lot of uh, we might say book learning for coding. Yeah. And more and more, I've kind of found it to be obsolete. It's how uh, is it because it just can't keep up? It really doesn't keep up, and also these frameworks change so fast. Uh, that it's 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 out of date by the time I read through it. So I guess the question is, are books just too damn slow? I don't want to say that. I know, I know. Well, uh, okay, so I mean, here I am. I think it depends, because here I am. I just got yesterday, or last week, we recommended the uh, uh, Python for Kids book. I got it right here. And nice. I think this is a good example of where a book works, because... If I just am starting, and this is really for somebody who starts at literally square one, like uh, uh, part one, a computer program is a set of instructions that causes a computer to perform some kind of action. That's the first sentence. Okay, so that's where we're starting at. I feel like for that kind of content, it works. But like for something like books on mobile development, that sounds crazy to me because the vendor will release a new operating system while the book's still being written. Yeah, so I have uh, an entire bookshelf of them, and they're <laughs> woefully out of date. Do you have a book that introduces you to uh, iOS push notifications that came out this summer? <laughs> I have one that says, what is it? Updated for iOS 3 or 3.2 oh, no. or whatever oh, it was. No. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Like, you read the code, I'm like, yeah, that wouldn't work. So I, I see the same thing. In fact, this is why I never recommend books on last because um, – I was going to do a book recommendation this Sunday on uh, on uh, getting familiar with Arch Linux. And then I saw that the book was published in July of 2012. I thought, well, that's too old. Can't do that. I, I don't know. Maybe people would still buy it. See, it just seems like anything that moves fast, anything that moves fast, which is – this is why I think it just kind of – it kind of comes back to – how how you absorb information too? Like, are you do you want to just sit back and be told it all, or do you want to kind of go out and discover and sort of find something and then problem solve and search on it? And see, Google and, and search engines now allow us to sort of just jump in and and research as we go. And maybe that for some of us is a better way to learn. So I, I would add one thing. I uh, was saying in the chat room, the, the famous Zane Swafford as a point that books on languages themselves tend to stay pretty evergreen. Mm, like this Python book. Though I have a few questionable Java ones on my shelf. Uh, but, you know, because the language would change slower than the framework. I, I don't know, though. I just feel like as a modern developer, you're expected to adapt so quickly now right, yep. that that 500-page reference book isn't going to do you a whole lot of good if you're reading straight through it. I th- maybe we've been sold a bit of a bag of goods by the book industry a little bit. Like I think maybe the, the value of books has maybe been oversold a little. Like I don't want to say books are bad because I just bought well, let me, one. Let me ask you this. Did you ever buy a tech book and not read it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or, or read, or read select portions yes, of it. More yeah. like that. Yeah. More like that. Yeah. yeah. Like all of them almost. Yeah. Most of the recent ones for me too. Yeah. 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 There was a time when I was transitioning away from books and I still read them, but now I can't, I, I would say, the last four or five years, I've I've you know p- picked up a couple a year now, and I read the section that I was most interested in, and then put it on the shelf. Well, in particular with mobile, as you mentioned before, the platform changes once a year. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or or Linux, right? That's that's the angle yeah. I was looking at. Or uh, I, so here's an example of when I was when I was kind of making that transition from from book to research was uh, when NT4 was fading away and Active Directory had been introduced. And Active Directory was an entirely new way of managing your network. And it was such a change from the way things had been done that I felt the only way to do this was to read books. So I jumped in and got a couple of books, work paid for them, big books, real big books. And then it turns out that the books had been written during the beta when it was still called NT5 it wasn't called Windows 2000 yet and it was inaccurate and so oh. the other problem that i ran into was that the book would kind of get me going in one direction but i'd end up needing to go do my searching anyways to get more current information when the book had led me astray and then yeah. and this was in both of the books because this and microsoft still does this they have a couple of favorite authors on a topic and they work with that author by giving them early versions of the software because those books take forever to write and they're very comprehensive. So they give them they give them 
they give them sometimes a year heads up on stuff. And they write that stuff for a year, but they base it – when they start the book, they base it off old information. And like the screenshots were out of date. Um, you know, it was, it was awful. So that's the other problem is you can't update them when they're wrong. Like if it was a web version, uh, the author would just update the post and problem solved. That just doesn't happen in the book world. I, mean, I, guess, yeah. I guess it could in the ebook world, but then eh, that doesn't really seem that's to happen either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess this was a <coughs> sorry, a thinner topic than I thought because it, it it seems pretty open and shut that you know maybe once you're out of that intro to Java, intro to insert language here phase, right? The books are less and less helpful. Yeah, I I, I think the books that I have found more rewarding are like the history of something, you know, the right. backstory or the beginning, the very beginning introduction. Uh, like, uh, like, uh, you made a pick a couple of weeks ago. It was kind of like some backstory stuff that had gone down at Microsoft. That kind of stuff's perfect, right? That is, or that is sort of, or like, uh, you know, a biography, that kind of thing where it's, but especially when it's about a tech person, I actually find all that stuff to be really fascinating. You can get a lot of good deets there, but the more current stuff, ah, I think we've been lied to my friend. We've been led astray. Lies. I know. I know. Uh, we do have. Some book picks, though. <laughs> yes, we do. We, so we've been asking for uh, folks to send in book recommendations to the Coda Radio Show uh, as kind of the holidays approach. We wanted to give you guys some things to read if you do get some downtime. And it's always good to kind of get away from the computer and let your brain sort of process information in a different way. So Namaya, Namaya, you think that's how you say it? Namaya? Uh, uh, I call him Nehemiah, but that's not how you say his name. Okay. Well, the, the, uh, the fall apart, uh, the, uh, Things Fall Apart. Yeah, Things Fall Apart by Achebe. So this is a yeah. book I read a few years ago. <laughs> Or actually, longer than I'd like to admit ago. It's a great follow-up to last week's pick of Heart of Darkness, though, because the same ideas, imperialism, things like that. Um, You know, listeners will notice that I'm not only picking tech books anymore. All right. Two reasons for that. I don't read that many of them anymore. Okay. As we just kind of went through. Uh, On the other side, it's good to be well-rounded, right? Well, and it is good to focus the brain in on something else. Right. That that is true. And you know what? These things work better in audio, and uh, they have an audio version of Oh, I bet they do. In fact, let me see. This is a little preview here. See, you're listening to a sample, it says. Well, I don't hear a sample. Hmm. Well, they have an audible version of it, too, which is kind of one of my preferred ways to get this stuff these days is from Audible. So you could – but – they, uh, you can buy that from Amazon directly now. They also have a paper book and a Kindle version of it. Kindle, Kindle version is only seven ninety nine. Oh, there's the, there it is. Sometimes another village would ask Unoka's band and their dancing Egwugu to come and stay with them and teach them their tunes. Oh, I should have mentioned that. What's that? It's about Africa, so if you hear some crazy names, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The good fair and the good fellowship, and he loved this season of the year. That sounds like a good re- a reader, though. That's always what I just like to check to make sure it's a good reader. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, Things so that apart. one, I yeah, that one, I don't have the audio, but the next one, I do have an audio. Book Who owns Chris. the future? This is a book for you, Chris. Oh yeah, should I play? This a, is a. I play go something? ahead. Okay, all right, I'll play Let's it. see what they take. Information as free, as exemplified by free consumer internet services or the way financial services firms can often gather and use data without having to pay for it. But the price we pay for the illusion of free is only workable so long as most of the overall economy isn't about information. Ah. Today, we can still think of information as the intangible enabler of communications, media, and software. But as technology advances in this century, our present intuition about the nature of information will be remembered as narrow and short-sighted. Uh-huh. We can think of information narrowly only because sectors like manufacturing, energy, healthcare, and transportation aren't yet particularly automated or net-centric. But eventually, most productivity probably will become software-mediated. Software could be the final industrial revolution. That actually, I am buying that book. That sounds like a great book right there. Oh, it is It is right in line with our uh with our software. Yeah, I mean, and the author... 3D printers magically turn out what had once been manufactured goods. Automated heavy equipment finds and mines natural resources. Oh, man, that's going to be a good book. Maybe a little bit of a, a thought provoker. Who owns the future? Uh, and by Jason Lehner, we'll have a link to the Audible version, and uh, I probably can find the uh, yeah, Amazon it, version, too. Uh, let's see how... And, and listeners, if you, if you do buy that book and listen through it, 
Uh, let me know how quickly you cancel your Facebook account. <laughs> it's got good reviews, too. It's got a yeah. lot of good reviews. It's 12 yeah. hours. The audio version is 12 hours. It was released on 7, 16, 13, so it's pretty new, too. Um, so who owns the future? I'll put a link to both who owns the future and uh, things fall apart will be in the show notes. Kind of a deep topics, but it is the holiday season and the end of the year does approach. It's kind of a good time to reflect on some of this stuff. Yeah, it's time We're to meditate. Saying. That's right. That's right. Something like that. All right, Mr. Dominical, anything else we want to cover before we get out of here this week? No, we had a beer of the week, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. Where, why didn't we mention that? What's the beer of the week this week? This is a Samuel Adams Juniper IPA. Oh. Oh. Yes. I'm a big IPA fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says it's a special release, which I find weird because they come out with this every year. But hey. What was it called again? I want to Google it. What was it? It's a Sam Adams what? Sam, Sam Adams? Adams Juniper IPA. Juniper, that's what it was. The Firewall Juniper IPA. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. People like this beer, man. People like this beer. Yes. Um well, there you go. It's got a uh, it's got a it's got a beer advocate score of 81. Um looks like it's uh it's well reviewed and it has an IPA an IPA of 5.8% and it's only available in the winter. Uh-huh. Yes. There I love that too. That's always fun. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, that does bring us to the end of this week's Coda Radio. Don't forget, you can find links to stuff we talked about, our contact information, and more in the uh, Coda Radio show notes over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also pop that contact link at the top of the Jupiter Broadcasting website and send us in your book picks or anything else you'd like to ask us or propose to us. Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? SamAdams.com. <laughs> Yep, yeah, I'm just taking the whole week over at SamAdams.com. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We'd love to have you live on a Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at JBLive.tv and JBLive.info for the audio edition, or just download this bad man pajama later on in the afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>